0: The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2.
1: Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards and we are here in partnership with Her Game 2. And this is our look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Joining me to look over an action pack week, we have the male's women's football correspondent. It's Catherine Batty. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Luke. You're all right. I'm very well. Thank you. And also with us, we have the women's football editor at 90minutes.com. It's Ali Ramplin. Hi, Ali. Hi, hey, Luke. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. And Ali's, uh, whenever Ali comes on, she's never been to a game. She just. <laughs> She just thinks that I think she's lazy, but I know you're not, Ali. <laughs> oh, thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I do get out and about occasionally.
1: And we've been trying to get them on for ages. They're very hard to pin down, but we finally got one of them. We're just under 40,000 followers on Twitter. From Girls on the Ball, it's Sophie Downey. Hi, Sophie.
0: Hi yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's good to finally be here.
1: <laughs> no, it's, well, brilliant. And thank you for, for, for coming on. And I'll give out your, or you can plug your Twitter handles at the end of the podcast. The Conte Cup finalists have been decided. Arsenal will take on Chelsea on the 5th of March at Selhurst Park. Chelsea had a comfortable 7-0 victory over West Ham. Sam Kerr, who else, scoring four goals. But it was the other semi-final which got tongs wagging on Twitter. Arsenal eventually sought off Manchester City thanks to a goal in extra time from the Swedish international Stenia Black Stenius. And the big talking point was Leah Williamson's elbow, or was it An elbow. She didn't even see a card for it. Not something that will probably be appearing in a new book. But, ladies, what was your thoughts on it? Was Leah lucky?
0: Yes, I think. I think it was an elbow. Um, I think she was lucky that the referee didn't see it. Um, I think there was a few decisions in that game, if I'm right, that didn't, you know, I think Chloe Kelly was quite lucky to still, still be on the pitch as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that there was a couple of things missed. Um, but it was definitely an elbow.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I can't believe she didn't even get a yellow card for it. Um, I think, yeah, it's a weird one because it doesn't look like she's looking at Lauren Hemp and she's kind of turning and her arm's not in, like, most unnatural position. But, yeah, she definitely smashes her in the face. So, uh, yeah,
1: I think she was quite fortunate. Catherine, are we 100% on this? <laughs>
3: yeah, I think I think she's very lucky to get away with it. I think it's one of those where, you know, VAR would have had a field day with that probably. So... Um... Very lucky to get away with it. Um, Probably no sort of real malice in there, obviously, being her England teammate, but I think she knew what she was doing in terms of stopping the run. And um, yeah, a bit of a kind of forearm smash almost on on poor old Lauren Hemp.
1: Well, we're trying to get one to talk about her book, so I think she was really... She she was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. It's great. (laughs) That Lauren Hemp running into her elbow. Anyway... Uh, (laughs) How'd you see the final go in then?
0: Um, I think it's gonna be interesting. Um, yeah, I think Arsenal, they were they were pri- quite good on Wednesday night, um, but then fell apart at the weekend against the same city side. So you don't really know quite what you're gonna get with them at the moment. Um if they can sc- sort out their goal scoring. Um I think I do think Saturday's game was purely tactical, mainly. Um I think Jonas got it all all wrong, um, and he didn't adjust quickly enough. And I think that set them off on the wrong footing. But if they can get the tactics right and sort out the goal scoring, well, sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> Just do those little things. Um, you know, they did take Chelsea. Um, they did take them all the way, kind of in that league game. They, they, they probably should have won that one. Um, and it's a cup final, so
2: who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I think it could be either Arsenal play really well or they play really badly. Chelsea will play really well or play really badly and whatever variation of that Chelsea will just win because that's how they seem to be at the moment like just so ruthless and clinical and yeah I think uh, yeah like Sophie said I think Arsenal could probably take heart from the fact that they definitely should have won at the Emirates and were yeah completely dominant on miles of their team again Chelsea really off that day and they still managed to nick a point and yeah we just seem to be at that stage of the season where Chelsea just uh, sort of the masters of getting the job done. And yeah, I guess uh, apart from the fact that sort of last season, obviously they had City were fantastic in the Quantity Cup final again is something that essentially we can take influence from. But yeah, they just seem to be in, the, in their groove at the moment.
3: Yeah, I do think form kind of goes out the window when it comes to a final um a little bit. But as Ali was saying there, I mean, Chelsea have kind of gone through the season without probably really getting into third gear. Um, and apart from that Liverpool game at the start of the season when they did drop points, they've they've kind of just won despite the fact that they're not playing at their best. And I would say they would definitely be five favourites going into the final. Um, it's whether kind of Arsenal can lift themselves and find a little bit of a moment of magic um, in 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 the final. But I think you would expect that to probably come from Chelsea, kind of given you know given the issues Arsenal have with injuries at
2: the moment.
0: Really good the good thing for Arsenal though is that, you know, they've they have the FA Cup but normally you come straight out of this international break and it's pretty much either before or after it's a continental Continental Cup final. We have FA Cup, so they do get a couple of weeks, you know, back in training before they have to launch themselves into this this kind of final. So that should help them kind of regroup, I guess. I think it's really hard when you when you're travelling away and half your team is, you know, the other end of the world. Same with Chelsea. Um, but yeah, then you have to go straight into a cup final and motivate yourself for that. Whereas I think for both sides, having their teams back adds a bit more stability and um probably energy to them.
1: And who did you have in the FA Cup? They have Chelsea, of course. Oh so there we go. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice little warm-up for it. Um and in another twim, twist of fate, Arsenal and Manchester City met again in a WSL at the weekend. This Sunday game was at the Academy Stadium on Saturday at lunchtime. And it was two goals in the first half that did for the Gunners. Lauren Hemp opened a scoring and then Brit Award hander out to Kelly, Chloe Kelly added a second. Brazilian Raphaeli got a goal back, but it meant that Arsenal dropped to fourth with City leapfrogging them into third. Now, Flo Lloyd Hughes, a colleague of all of ours, was very downbeat on Arsenal's chances. She tweeted out saying, Not really sure where Arsenal go from here. The season looks to be right off in February. Cannot see them winning any trophy. A really interesting statement that, isn't it? What do you make of Arsenal's season? The injuries to Mead and Mead Amar especially seem to have grounded them a little bit. Although the form overall isn't too bad. They're still in the Champions League and they're in the Conti Cup finals we mentioned.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't say it's a write-off yet. You know, there's still so much football to be played They're in, They have they face Chelsea in the FA Cup. They've got the Conti Cup final. I think all of the top teams have to play each other again at least once. Um you know, there's a lot of football still to be played. And yes, the title tra- title looks a bit further away than it did, obviously, before the weekend. But, you know, anything can happen in, in football. But also, they've got Champions League places. And that's probably the most important thing. As you, you want to win the title. But the most important thing for Arsenal is to get those Champions League. And I sometimes think we brush over the fact that Mead and Mead are uh, injured. Like, they should just get over it. Any team losing those two players who are absolutely your core of your attacking play is going to struggle. Chelsea would, would if they lost, you know, Sam Kerr um, and, and people like that. I just think, yeah, I wouldn't call it a write-off yet. I still think it, it's a lot to be paid, but also to acknowledge the fact that there are two big holes in, in that team. It, it doesn't, I don't know why we just expect them to kind of get over it um, mm-hmm. immediately. It's going to take a bit of a readjustment and a recalibration.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I definitely don't think their season's over by any stretch. If you're in a if you're in a cup final and the Champions League quarterfinals in sort of Champions League still very much uh, doable, um yeah, they've definitely still got stuff to play for. Um but yeah, I think on on Saturday, although I think City were brilliant, I think yeah, Arsenal just seemed to shoot themselves in the foot sort of time and time again with yeah, the way they were playing out from the back and yeah it's just sort of a very uncharacteristic performance really you don't normally see like you know Leah Williamson was giving the ball away in in her own half and yeah lots of Uben Roy didn't seem to like learn from being dispossessed in her own half and yeah I think although like City played so so well I thought the midfield especially were brilliant but yeah like Arsenal really didn't help themselves
3: yeah I mean firstly you don't win a title in February and you don't lose a title in February. So I think the idea that the season's a write-off is um, a little bit unfair. But I kind of think they have got to pick themselves up Arsenal. They're at the stage where do they kind of let themselves drift a little bit in the league or do they really kind of say like, you know, come on, they've still got a good enough squad here to come and compete. Obviously, I think what Sophie's saying as well, losing Mead and Miedemar was massive. Um, I think maybe people glossed over it slightly because Miedemar wasn't always starting the games, but before she obviously just got that injury, she was literally just kind of coming back into her groove, having had that time off. So it really was a, a, a huge blow. And I think maybe the psychological element of that as well, um, losing Mead in that game, you could kind of see the reaction from the players having already lost Beth Mead. It is going to impact them. And I think it impacted them in that game as well. And they're maybe still trying to get over that. But they they do kind of have to move past it. You know, we know Jonas obviously wants to bring a striker in. They didn't manage to do that. Um, they've just kind of got to really find that belief from somewhere. Um, I still think Stina Black is a great player. Um, I think she just needs, and I know she kind of got that goal against Man City. Um, she just needs to kind of have, you know, a, a, almost a better goal if that kind of makes sense to kind of go on a run. I mean, if she scored against Chelsea in the first game back, I think that would be the world good. Um, same with Nina Hertig. I think she just needs to kind of get a run together. Um, but I mean the idea that their season's over. They, if they win that FA Cup game and they win the Conte Cup, suddenly everything changes. Mm. Um, and there's always going to be more twists and turns in the season. You know, it's not like Chelsea are just now going to go and win every game. Um, they can drop points as well. So there's a long way to
1: go, and as I said, a lot of football still to be played. Yeah, there was a lot of criticism as well, wasn't it? It almost felt like that um, Arsenal didn't really replace Mead and Meadema, and but it's not like. It wasn't for the want of trying. I mean, God, they put in a world record bid, didn't they? So.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know how you expect to magic these players out in thin air. You know, there's not a lot of top-class strikers, you know, going free on the market at the moment. Um, I think their whole Alessia Russo thing was a bit of a, a punt and see what they could do. But, I mean, other than her, there's not really... I can't really think of many out there who, who are going free at the moment, you know, or looking for a transfer, especially in, in January, because they're all getting minutes at clubs, you know, the only one real ones, the kind of Beth England's of the world where they're, you know, top four level, but they aren't getting the minutes. But you can't I just can't think of an, another one at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a hard task to do. Um and you know, I think we also forget about the other injuries that they've had. You know, they were without Susa and and uh, Williamson for so long, at the end of last year. Leah Vulte has been missing at the start of this year. You know, she's such a linchpin in that, in that midfield. And you could see as soon as she came on against City, the stability in that midfield area became so much stronger. Um, and the same with, I think, Katie McCabe. I know she's been in and out. She had a chest infection, I think. So um, you kind of getting players back to full health. They've really had, they have had it with the injury run. Um, and hopefully for them in the latter run of the season, they can put that to kind of bed and start to have more consistency.
2: Yeah, I think in terms of replacing Mead and Meadema as well, like, it's not, you've not lost them, you know, how, how do you persuade a player to come to a club when they're then going to be competing with Vivian Meadema and Beth Mead in six months' time? Like, that's not the most, uh, yeah, the, the best the best idea really, like, it's quite a hard sell, I'd imagine. Um, but, yeah, like you said, they just had rotten luck with injuries again. But they dealt, they dealt so well with Williamson and, and Raphaeli missing out. Um, but, yeah, it just seems like those are two, with Mead and Miedema, those are just two holes that are so, so difficult to fill.
1: Not great point. I mean, like you say, um, Russo goes to Arsenal. She'll, she'll expect to be first choice, won't she? She's not going to go there and be first choice for six months and then sit behind Mead and Miedema. But then equally, Mead and I won't want to be sort of sat on the bench if they come back and Russo's there. So, yeah, it's a good old conundrum for Arsenal, isn't it? Let us know what you think as well on Twitter, at W... At TWFP1, and give us your thoughts. Uh, is Arsenal's season's over? We, we say not, anyway. But we've got to look at Manchester City. Their season's still alive. They're only four points off the top, still in the FA Cup. Um, I think they've been written off a little this season, haven't they? But they're quietly coming into some form now, aren't they?
0: They're unbeaten since September, aren't they, in the league? Um, I think they've sort of quietly gone about their business. Um, I'm still not entirely sure about them to be honest, but Hmm. they're getting the job done. Um, They throw in a funny result every
1: now and again, don't they?
0: Yeah, and they're just not always convincing. I just think back to that game against Aston Villa um, at the Academy Stadium and they just seemed completely out of ideas. So I think when teams do set up against them correctly um, and they struggle especially to find Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly on on the wings, um, I know the goal came through the centre of midfield, but that doesn't happen too often, I don't think. Um, and there was that point where Greenwood just turned around in circles going, what, what do I do, kind of thing with the ball. Um, so they have that, those moments in them, and while they beat Leicester, and it was a really inspired performance from the Leicester goalkeeper, um, they still should be putting more goals away, I think, on Saturday as well. They should have been five and up half a half-time. So that's my one little thing with them, is that they're not quite reaching the levels that I think they could do. And I'm not always sure about the tactical side of it.
1: Well, our question marks over them wasn't at the start of the season because obviously with the players that they lost, was the disharmony in the dressing room? Would Gareth Taylor survive it? And they have rolled out that storm a little bit, haven't they? But like like um, like it was mentioned there, then it's just they can look really convincing and other days they can't, can they, alley?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit like Sophie. I'm sort of in two minds as to whether they're sort of having a good season or not. I think, um, the pieces kind of started to come together for them after that September international break, and then they never it sort of in that in that time period they they went on that long winning run, but they never played sort of a a top side, um, and it's sort of they, they were just getting the results that you'd expect them to get. But I guess in hindsight, seeing sort of how Arsenal and Man United slipped up the other weekend against against Everton um and against West Ham like perhaps we should give them City more credit for sort of getting those getting those wins against the likes of Everton and West Ham um but yeah I think I think this result was really big for them in terms of it's the first time they'd like taken points off a, a big side with this sort of new look squad of theirs um but yeah it was I think yeah like I've mentioned that Villa performance it was sort of in stark real stark contrast to that because their midfield was sort of yeah completely overrun by Villas but then against Arsenal I thought they were brilliant I thought Angle Dale in there as well was like she really really added something with her kind of athleticism and the way she was driving forward with the ball and yeah like Hastegawa seems to be really settling into that sort of more defensive role now like she was so, so good and yeah like such a joy to watch and like a kind of reading of the game as well sort of like adds a little bit defensively that I think we sort of were a bit unsure about at the start um so yeah I think I think this result was a real positive step forward for them
1: Steph Houghton was back in as well, wasn't she, at the weekend, Catherine? She's been in the last couple of games now, and that's kind of really inspired them a little bit, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, Steph's an experienced player and um, she's a leader. So, and, you know, obviously the fact that she was been injured for quite a while last season, you never kind of lose those qualities as a player. Um, and, and, you know, I think City kind of defensively have been fair, fairly strong recently. Um, I think that, as I was saying, what well, Sophie was saying, the kind of criticism is that they do need to be a bit more ruthless in, in front of goal. I mean, they had a lot of possession in the Conte Cup game against Arsenal where there was a period of the game where they should have gone on and won it and they just allowed Arsenal back into it Um, and they just didn't quite take advantage of that that kind of period of pressure that they had. And I think that's probably the area for them at the minute that um they kind of need to work on. Um, And also, I think... There's obviously on Corton coming back in. I think that defence does sort of switch and change around quite a little bit and never kind of always feels 100% settled. Mm. Uh, and every now and again, you do feel that there's maybe a little mistake in there in terms of p- overplaying out from the back just now and again, kind of creeping in. Um, but, you know, most of the time they're fairly secure. So I'm interested to kind of see how they go for the rest of the season. I just can't see them winning the trophy, obviously, out of the Conte Cup. FA Cup, yeah, okay. Arsenal and Chelsea playing each other, so maybe City could go all the way to the final. I just can't, I just can't see them kind of picking up a silverware, um, you know, at the end of the season. So I think they just kind of have to focus most of their attention into making sure they're finishing the top three. Um, they've given themselves a chance to do that now. So, um, you know, perhaps earlier in the season we thought it was a lot further away. Um, now they've got a real opportunity to kind of go and claim one of those spots, and um, you know, whether it's at the expense of Arsenal, Manchester United, because I don't see Chelsea kind of slipping slipping that
1: far down. Quick straw, Paul. Will Will they make the Champions League then? So,
3: um,
0: yeah, I I'm <laughs> gonna go no. I think Arsenal will get because they've got that game in hand, don't they? I do think they're in. They have enough about them to collect themselves. I think in this latter, and especially if the FA Cup goes their way, or the country Continental Cup goes their way. Um, that will could be really a real spark for a, a runner form. Um, so I'm going to go Arsenal will get that third place.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's just a mini a mini blip for Arsenal. No, they'll still finish in the top three.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm going to say no as well. But I think Man City have to be looking at Man United as the team that might drop out because I think Arsenal will pick up. Um, and it's whether Man United now have got that psychological element that perhaps they didn't have last season in terms of holding on to that spot. Um, But that Manchester derby later in the season could be really key in terms of deciding, we kind of saw it last season when City won that game from that point onwards, it was kind of City's all the way. Um, And there might be, you know, if City kind of win that game again this year, a little bit of doubt might creep in. So um, I think they'll be looking at maybe them more than Arsenal in terms of dropping out, but I would still back Man United to to hold on to the top three spot.
1: Talking of the red side of Manchester, they went back top as United won 2-1 away at Spurs in a match which took place in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A quiet first half saw the teams going goalless, but Leah Galton opened the scoring on 67 minutes. Beth England equalised with her third goal in three games, but Molly Bartrip put into her own net to give Mark Skinner's side the lead. And they survived a straight red card for Ella Toon to hold on as well. We'll get onto that as well, because there's been, again, a lot of opinion on that on Twitter. There was jubilant scenes at the end in front of the away end as well, with not the biggest crowd there from a home point, home fan point of view, despite the freestylers and beatboxes being on offer. Uh, Catherine, you were there. That was a big win for Man United, wasn't it?
3: It was. Um, and I think it could be one that kind of proves to be crucial come the end of the season, because it was one they just kind of had to drag themselves over the line. They got a little bit of luck. They weren't brilliant. Um, I think that's one of the worst halves of football I've kind of seen in the WSL this season in terms of, Kind of action and stuff happening and then we had a mad kind of 13 minutes where we had three goals and ascending off um but the fact that they kind of kept their heads after all that commotion of the red card and saw the game out i think kind of says a lot about how far they've come as a team and the fact that they were able to get through that game despite not kind of being at their best um is you know kind of speaks volumes about them so it was a really crucial win i think if they dropped points it would have been um you know he could have seen maybe the confidence or the heads kind of dropping down so it was really important they came through that
1: yeah especially after last week's result against Everton but Ella Toon first of all do you think it was a red card and how big a miss will she be for them
3: I think it was a red card Um I just think when you raise your hands you're always putting yourself you know at risk in terms of um you are giving the referee a decision to make I know she didn't It was a weird one because they were on the floor and if they were standing up, maybe it might have looked a bit different if you're shoving someone in the shoulder standing up. But I think the red mist kind of came out of Toon a little bit. I think she'd been frustrated during the game. I think she'd had a few late tackles. um, And what kind of happened was, was a tangle of legs with Samanin and Toon. Toon was facing the other way. And then I think as Samanin tried to get rid of her leg, she kind of caught Toon. And I think what Toon has thought is that she's maybe kicked out at her, which I don't think it was the case. I think she's caught her. Um, and you know, obviously that's led to the reaction, and she's obviously shoved her in the shoulder. And I think the red card is for the intent as well as the kind of you know strong reaction to, to the challenge. Um, I understand that people obviously didn't like Samarin's reaction in terms of holding her face when she it was her shoulder that it kind of got hurt. Um, but I just think you you can't you just can't react like that these days. It's it's very similar to when you know a player kind of puts their head into somebody. Um, it's the, they get sent off the intent even if they've not touched the other player. They once, once you move your head, that's it. You kind of you're gonna get sent off. Um, and it was similar for Tune, and I'd be surprised if it got overturned if they do go down the route of appealing it.
1: Yeah, it was good to see some <coughs> feistiness, though, wasn't it, So there But um, you're both kind of nodding there in agreement with Catherine.
0: I think once you give the referee the decision to make and the reaction. I think it does look more aggressive when she's on the floor as well, but it's still, it's an it's a aggressive reaction to the the perceived challenge or the foul um, that she thought Sumana did um, or the tango legs. And I think as soon as you do that, you're asking for trouble. You're making the referee make a decision and she's not going to make another, a different decision from the angle that she saw as well. I think, uh, yeah, for me, it's a red card. I just don't think you can react like that. It's your... It, you have to hold it. Your hands up. And to be fair, Taylor Toon, I think she did post match. She said, she did kind of say it was kind of my fault. Whether they are going to appeal it or not, um. But I, yeah, I just think you can't react like that
2: in this day and age. But yeah, I think um, I think I think Skinner said after the match that they were going to appeal it, but like I can't see that getting overturned. Like it was, yeah, like you said, it was the intent, and uh, yeah, I th- yeah, I think S- Suman's reaction was a little bit uh daft, but. I don't think Tune can have any complaints, really.
1: In, interestingly, I saw a tweet from, from Chloe. He's who, who is United fan. She listens to this pod a lot, and she was saying about if VAR had been there, maybe they'd have downgraded it to a yellow. I don't, I don't know about that. Do you think the decision would have stood with VAR?
3: I think it would have stood. I, d- I think VAR, the way it works, kind of see it in the Premier League, obviously the clear and obvious thing um i don't think that would have got overturned i think it's just one of those decisions that like maybe some refs would not give it i think the majority would but it's just one of those that i just don't think they would have overturned it
1: it's going to be um it's going to be a big miss for united though isn't it now she's one of their key players uh, as she is for england as well she
0: misses the chelsea game i think which is coming up um so yeah huge miss she's like their one of their key creative players I've got a few of them but you know she links the play so well in her vision um, and also her link up we all know it with their uh, Alessia Russo and you know the kind of partnership that they have is going to be a massive miss against the Chelsea team who are strong and have this mentality and resilience to them um, that don't afford you that much chances so you've got to be able to have the players to create the spaces um, so without her it will be a big
1: a big miss. So I'll get your thoughts on Spurs shortly as two interesting results in the other two games were played on Sunday. Uh, Brighton were carlo-balled to death by Aston Villa. There was a hat-trick for Jordan Nobbs with Rachel Daly, Lisa Staniforth and Kirsty Hansen also scoring. So, I know you were there. Villa, really impressive this season and hoping to be best of the rest, aren't they? Uh,
0: yeah, and there was so much improved from last weekend. Um, it was a sort of uncharacteristic dip in performance, I think. Uh, last Saturday, but this time they fell behind early, and you might have been a bit worried for them. But then they just took the bit, you know, between their teeth and ran with it. Um, they literally sliced Brighton's defense apart with their um, Jordan Nobbs and Kenza Darley were running wild, They had so much space, and they could just pick out the passes that they they wanted to to find. Um, Kirsty Hansen as well; she's having an incredible season, and she was just destroying that left side. Of um, Villa, she was just running up and down. Um, She ran through the lines several times. Uh, So yeah, no, um, really impressive performance. I think we all know how well Villa can play. I I I said last weekend they play some of the most attractive football in the league at the moment. Um, Sometimes they're just not quite clinical enough. Um, But certainly, if you're looking compared to last season to this season, um, that's certainly improved as well. So um, a five star
2: Villa performance. Yeah, they scored nearly like half as many goals on Sunday as they did in the whole of last season, which so yeah, the yeah, where the the, the change has been made at the season is yeah, clearly sort of these huge attacking improvements. And yeah, I really like their midfield. I quite like how it's Darley and Nobs these two players who have sort of had really awful luck with injuries and now they're yeah, obviously Nobbs got the, the England call up before she scored her uh, her hat trick. Um but yeah, I think Kenza Darley, she was like she came back from two knee surgeries and was then about to go to the World Cup, home soil with France, and then dropped an iron on her toe and missed the tournament. So I think it's I think this is the best the best we've seen of her in the WSL, and it sort of shows Carla Ward's ability to just get that absolute maximum out of her players. And yeah, I've really really enjoyed watching play the season I think, it went great.
3: Yeah, I think what was impressive about Villa yesterday was kind of how ruthless they were I and mean, the fact that they kind of went on and just kind of kept putting Brighton to the sword. I mean, um, you know, Brighton have kind of seen them improve a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but um, you know, they really kind of were um I'm done by by Villa, and you know, obviously, we've kind of spoke a lot about Rachel Daly this season as the main goal for Villa. So it's nice to kind of see a lot of other players weighing in with the goals now, and it's not just kind of all on her shoulders, which perhaps it maybe was um, in the first few months of the season. Um, you know, Kirsty hansen has been fantastic, I think, in the last couple of weeks as well. So um, yeah, I think the pieces of the jigsaw are kind of slowly coming together now for Villa, and we'll we'll just kind of see them, you know, have a and you know, keep going kind of going through the season and keep progressing.
1: Yeah, Villa seemed good as well, Catherine, don't you? So, not reviving careers as such, but you know, team players who've been on the fringes at other clubs or maybe been injured, haven't got back in the squad, you like see, Jordan Nobbs, your Lucy Stanifors and more sort of Rachel Daly to an extent of letting her show what she can do up front?
3: Yeah, I mean, literally, as you were just saying, like Lucy Staniforth, I think is a great example of you know a player who just kind of wasn't getting the minutes at United but could go to another team and be first choice and be a fantastic addition and um, you know, she's really kind of showing that already in the short space of time that she's had at Villa. Um, you know, likewise with obviously Hansen and um, and Jordan Knobbs as well. And I think they're really kind of astute signings from Villa in terms of, you know, players with experience, but also players that could make a difference to that team. Um, and that were gonna kind of have a really big impact on the dressing room as well. Very, you know, very experienced players that have come in. So um, I think you know. I think their transfer business has been has been fantastic, and you know probably a lot of other clubs could, could probably kind of learn from that.
1: Leicester pulled off a massive victory, the one nil win over Liverpool at Prenton Park. It was Hannah Kane celebrating her birthday by firing in from a clever corner routine. And Catherine, I saw you tweeting about this result, and it puts them back in the survival race, doesn't it?
3: It does. And, you know, I think Leicester had been kind of playing well for a while um, without maybe getting the results. And now you're kind of seeing them finally maybe getting the points they deserve for some of the performances they're putting in. Um, You know, Willie Kirk's got a great record against Liverpool from when he was Everton manager. And I, I did kind of say that yesterday, you know, I kind of fancied Leicester to get a result. And it does make the relegation battle really interesting now because I think the last couple of years it has been kind of between one or two teams or there's been a one team you kind of know are probably going to go down it was kind of Leicester were that team at the start of the season but the fact that there's quite a few more teams in the mix now and a few others looking over their shoulder it makes it so much better for the league and I think Willie Kirk does a fantastic job I, I really think you know I really rate Willie Kirk as the manager I think he's um you know a great guy as well and you know I'd, I'd love to kind of see him keep Leicester up because I think you know they're a club that have invested in the women's team and do kind of you know want want the best for the players and um, it'd be a shame to lose them from the WSL, so um, definitely makes it interesting. And you know, we kind of thought Liverpool might have been, you know, looking a bit more safe before that result, and it drags them back in as well. So it, it definitely makes it exciting.
1: Catherine, I know, I know you mentioned it there actually, just about the performances, didn't you? Even when they lost to City, um, they only lost by two goals to nil, and normally they get pumped like seven or eight nil. So you could see the shoots of recovery there already, couldn't you?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think that's what Willie Kirk's kind of done. He's made them harder to beat, which is what he did with Everton when he first went in there. You know, they were kind of leaking goals. He made them harder to beat. He shored up the defence and then he kind of looked to kind of, you know, try and make them a bit more, you know, not better in in, in attack. And I think he's actually doing a really similar job as to what he did when he first went in at Everton. And then obviously in his second season, he really progressed them there. So if he can keep them up, I think there's a lot of kind of progress he can make. And, you know, they can really actually move forward in the table and not just kind of be a, a team that's kind of
1: threatened with relegation all the time. So the reason we didn't ask you about Brighton and Spurs earlier and also Reading, who didn't play this weekend, was with that Leicester victory, who should be the most worried because all of a sudden they've given themselves a sniff of a chance. Now we had David Aston on last week. He said despite the signing Spurs have made, he's worried for them more from a defensive point of view. So who are you worried for? One, do you think Leicester can stay up and two, if they do, who's at the expense of?
0: um so I have called Leicester staying up I think since before just before Christmas and everyone thought I was absolutely crazy um but I just felt they kind of had it in in them just despite the seven point deficit um I know people are looking at Reading but I always think they have just about enough to to keep them in the division and they always have that power to bring out that result against you know a bigger team they just you know manage to dig in deep and nick a goal or put in a really high performance um they're a bit of a topsy-turvy team i'm really worried for brighton they're leaking goals um they literally fell apart on on yesterday um once that equalizer went in they just lost their heads um so yeah i'm I'm proper worried for them i've been at crawley twice this season they've shipped eight and six goals and they just don't seem to have the resources necessarily about them to to recover from a quick run of goals or going they conceded two in two minutes uh, that just shows me that their mentality isn't quite quite there um and Jan shoy yesterday was quite he talked about the need for honesty after the game and to be frank about where they are at, and that they're, they're in real trouble they've got chelsea and city coming next um and that's a mountain to climb and before they know it they could be you know right at the bottom of that table their game in hand as well over reading is arsenal which is not
2: ideal for them I don't think yeah I agree I think um Brian are the ones to uh to look out for I think sort of the difference between them and Leicester is you see Willie Kirk came in a little bit earlier and he sort of seems to have settled in at Leicester and he's kind of as Catherine said he's a real he's a WSL manager with kind of know-how of relegation and how to get out of that whereas I think Brighton, with, with yeah with the sure, it's it, I don't know it seems like they're still in a bit of a transitional phase and. he's come from Bayern Munich as well so I don't like you know he's used to kind of competing for titles as opposed to being in a relegation battle so it's sort of yeah it almost seems like he's I don't know there's like a project there but it's kind of not not necessarily the time to be to be doing that when you're in the thick of a of a relegation battle I think I think Spurs are an interesting one I think they've looked so so much better since uh the winter break um I think going to a back five or reverting back to a back five as they did Last season's um, work quite well for them. The only thing with that is, I think when you're when you're playing a back five, your wing backs are so so important. And I think they've got Celine Bizet playing uh, on, on wing back and 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 uh, Kerry Harrop. And I think Harrop's a centre back, and I think Bizet is very much a sort of forward thinking winger. So that's my only sort of qualm with them. You know, I think you saw with Harrop, she got beaten twice with the the two Man United goals, and I think you lose a bit of that sort of flair going forward when you play at wing-back so that's my only concern with spurs but i think they've been they've been yeah a lot improved sort of this side of, of the winter break and i think i think the results are coming
1: for them Catherine, we mentioned earlier you were at spurs are you are you worried for them or do you think there's a team worse than them
3: no i think i think you have to kind of be realistic and say they are in the battle but I think the difference for Tottenham is they've got a goal scorer in Beth England and, yeah, they've not got the re- results at the minute. But you, as Ali was saying, you've noticed the Im- improvements in performances since, since Christmas. and they are going in the right direction. They've just had a tough run of games. Um, it doesn't get much easier with Man City up next. But I think kind of once they get, you know, fixtures against the teams around them, I think with Beth England up front, you know, that they should be fine. I think that they've got enough in the team to stay up. Um, Brighton would probably be my pick as well. I think Brighton and Reading, it's kind of hard to, to choose between them. I think what gives Reading the edge is that Kelly Chambers' experience in the WSL has been here before and she's not going to panic. Um, I think both teams lack a goal scorer. Um, I think Liverpool, again, they've kind of got Katie Stengel, who um, you know, makes a real difference for them. I, I'm looking at the Brighton team and I'm looking at the Reading team and I'm thinking I'm not sure kind of where where their goals are coming from. And the only thing I think that gives Reading the edge is that they've been in this position before and they are very experienced, whereas Brighton do seem a little bit more all over the place in terms of kind of what what they're trying to do. And, you know, at the same time, they've got a new manager in place as well. And it's never easy to kind of come over and try and stamp your authority on a team. um, When you're in a relegation battle, you kind of just have to come over and just go, right, we just need to get as many points as we can and forget like style of play or what you're kind of trying to do long-term when you are at the bottom. Um, so I would say Brighton and Reading for me are the two that need to be most worried. I think Tottenham and Liverpool uh, should have enough to kind of get them over the line.
1: I hope so, because Matt Beard nearly throttled me when I suggested we're really possibly in a relegation battle a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so there we go. Um, so are we all saying that you think Leicester might st- will stay up rather than might stay up? Do you think they will stay up?
2: I think so. Yeah, I reckon so.
1: Oh, excellent. All, there's all three nodding heads. I like that. So, all in agreement on that one. Um, on to the Championship now. There's a significant result in midweek as Bristol City went top after beating London City Lionesses 3 one Shania Hales had opened the scoring, but Lily Ag equalised the teams went in level at the break. Grace Clinton and Welsh international Fionn Morgan both scored in the second half to spark wild celebrations. And they followed that up on Sunday with another home win, this time over Lewis. It was two second-half goals from Emily Simon and Abby Harrison which saw the Vixens win that game. However, they slipped back to second as London City Lionesses pulled off an impressive victory at St. Andrews to beat Birmingham. Kareem Mouya's goal a minute into the second half was enough to put them back on top on a goal difference. Bristol City do have a game in hand, however. Uh, Southampton kept up the pressure behind as a Katie Wilkinson strike saw them win away at Sunderland 1-0. And what I like about the Championship this year is we seem to have a proper title race, don't we? The last couple of years, we seem to have had one team dominate and everyone seemingly playing far second place.
0: Championship is wild. I mean, it's wild every season, but I think this this year's t- title race is particularly, particularly wild because everyone seems to be beating everyone or dropping points to people they shouldn't be dropping points to. I do think Bristol had the edge um, with that game in hand and that win midweek. I was there at um, the High Performance uh, Centre in Bristol, and they just managed to get themselves over the line. They were tough to beat. They didn't react badly to, to conceding that goal straight after they scored. Um and I think that would real really propel them going forward because they have had a bit of a a dearth in front of goal in the last few few weeks. Um and you just get a real good vibe around the group, I think, as well. The I know people were complaining about their celebrations, some people, but actually I think that shows how much they want it. Um if I'm right in thinking some of their contracts are uh like extendable, relevant to whether they get promoted or not. Um, I guess that, that shows that they've got a really group of uh, good group of ambitious kind of players who want to win things and want to be performing at the top level. Um so to keep those players they need to get promoted, I guess.
1: That's really interesting you mentioned about the celebration, because I saw that and I thought, if you're a London City player looking at those celebrations after it was almost like they were celebrating like they'd won the league already and surely that would give them extra motivation then wouldn't it?
0: I'm just saying it just I think we sometimes go when we're watching on we go over the top a little bit about celebrations we saw some comments I think after the games at the Euros when England the England players were going around celebrating every single win why not? It's football and you know it gives you a chance in that 20 minutes half an hour after a game let it all out to enjoy the moment um it's an enjoy it should be enjoyable winning and you should be able to celebrate it and show your emotions um for me it just showed that they were a really good together group and they just so so wanted that win against London City I mean obviously if they lost that game it was kind of a six-pointer for them so um yeah I just I'm all for it to
1: be honest. There's some big results at the bottom as well, which backs up what you're saying, Soph, about it being really crazy uh, at the bottom and just all over the league in general. Coventry United with back-to-back home wins in the league as they saw off Blatterburn 3-1. Ebony Wiseman opened a scoring and then two and three minutes from Isabel Goodwin on her first start of the season. Had them 3-0 up after just 17 minutes. Jade Richards pulled one back before half-time and even a red card late on couldn't prevent Coventry from getting the three points which meant that Sheffield United needed a big result to keep them at arm's length. And that's what they did. The gap stayed at five points, thanks to a Georgia Walters goal, which gave the Blades three points over Charlton. And Crystal Palace beat Durham by a goal to nil, thanks to Annabelle Blanchard's goal. It's I tell you what, so at the bottom, it's, um, it's so tight. And again, really exciting because Coventry United looked dead and buried a couple of weeks ago. And it's similar to Leicester, the kind of rising, aren't they, from the ashes?
0: Massive improvement in performance and I would have expected nothing less, less from Lee Birch. He's um, an absolute top class manager and he always seems to get put in these situations where he's like on a um saving mission um, and that's what he's doing again. He did it well at Millwall and Yeovil beforehand and now he's, he's on that mission again at Coventry and they are putting in the performances. I think they were really lucky last week. They conceded a goal in the 97th minute to lose to Charlton. Um. And that would have brought them even closer to Sheffield because Sheffield lost, I think, last week. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they they are improving. They've brought in a lot of players, um, a lot of young players as well, I think. So there's a lot of ambition in that side. Whether they can pull off the great escape again, I'm not sure. I think um, that loss last week to Charlton was just, you know, if they could have capitalised on that, they could have really brought themselves back into it. Um but, yeah, we'll we'll see. It's going to be an exciting end of the season for sure.
1: Yeah, Lee Birch, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, saying about the transition and everything. I mean, is there a bit of you that know, looks at it and say, oh, Blackburn, Blackburn just seems to have stagnated a little bit and they just seem to be stuck around third bottom, don't they? Could they be somebody who Coventry could have an eye on?
0: Um, They could be, but I think they are one of those teams, a bit like a Reading, who always just about have enough to keep themselves away from the real danger of dropping um i would say sheffield are still a, a mm. problem i know they won at the weekend but that was their first win in the league since september i think um they've not been on the best run of form um and they've lost what they lost their manager in, just before christmas yeah. so they've got uh, luke turner who's their interim manager um in now uh but you just don't really know what's really going on behind the scenes either with our club sometimes so um we'll see see what happens but i think they're in they're in trouble probably more than blackburn
1: onto the national league in the north division it was a big game at the top as second hosted first and it was wolves who came out on top over nottingham forest it was far as who would taken the lead through charlotte greengrass on eight minutes but just two minutes later destiny tucson equalized and then a goal mouse scramble eventually saw jay cross poke wolves ahead Cross added a second just after the hour mark to lead them three points behind Forrest, but with a game in hand. Level on points with Wolves are Burnley, who also have a game in hand and remain unbeaten thanks to a second-half goal from Leah Jane Embley, which saw off Loughborough Lightning. At fourth place, Derby County grabbed their fourth consecutive win with a 3-0 win away at AFC Fylde. Amy Sims opened a scoring with a 15th goal of the season. Kira Rye made it two before the break, and Jess Camwell added a third in the second half. Other results saw Brighouse and Stoke City both win 2-0 at home against Boldmere St. Michael's and Liverpool Feds and West Brom and Huddersfield played out a 1-1 draw. In the south, it's equally tight at the top. It's Portsmouth that lead the way. They won 4-1 away at London Bees, thanks to a hat-trick from Danielle Lane. Oxford United are just a point behind with a game in hand and they won 2-1 at Billericay, thanks to Aisha Swain and Carla Johns. It's such a third as they won 2-0 away at Bridgewater United. Watford, they line fourth, eight points behind, but with three games in hand, so they'll be ones to watch. They won 3-1 at Cheltenham Town, Kalani, Per, Gemma Davidson and Poppy Wilson, who had promised her grandad a goal. Well, she certainly delivered on that front as she added the third. Also in the south, Crowley Wasp beat Plymouth Argyle 2-1 and MK Dons lost 2-0 at home to Gillingham. Now, Catherine, I know a team you've been keeping your eye on. Uh, Newcastle, they currently lie second in Division One North. They're four points behind Durham, Sestria they beat york city 4-2 at the weekend in front of over 3000 fans at kingston park
3: yeah i mean they've been doing fantastically well in terms of attendances this season um obviously they had the game at st james's park back in november but they've been getting a lot of fans at, at kingston park and kind of getting over you know 2000 most weeks and it's fantastic to see you know it's tier 4 football and they're getting kind of bigger attendances than some wsl clubs so i think the club kind of have to given a lot of credit in terms of the way they're promoting the team um obviously kind of you know Newcastle haven't always been a big force in the women's game but they are kind of investing a lot and you know I think kind of promotion is probably crucial for them this season but it's, it's not going to be straightforward because um are obviously um going very well I think Newcastle have got a game in hand so that would close the gap to one point if they win that and then yeah. probably yeah. up a, a title match with with um Dome Sestria later in the in the season. So that is a very exciting league. Um, and, and you know, it'd be interesting to see if kind of Newcastle can can get that top spot and get that promotion because, um, you know, they are doing some really good stuff for the women's team and, um, you know, attendances are flying. So the interest is there. So it'd be great if they could kind of go up and, and then continue to grow that.
1: And Sophie, hashtag United, big players on social media, like yourselves, of course, Uh, They are flying this season, a 7-1 away win for them at Norwich City, sees them eight points clear of AFC Wimbledon, and there's some real strength in these lower leagues now, with teams looking to really progress up.
0: Absolutely. I think if you look at any of the teams at the top of all of the divisions, to be honest, even, you know, like the South West Division, South East Division, they're all really putting, like, the resources, I guess, or, like, they have the ambition to climb up the leagues. It's a real... When I look at the Northern Premier and Southern Premier, those top, what, four, five, six teams, I think they could all compete in the championship if they get that promotion spot. Um, so there's some real ambition there, some really, really good players as well on show. And hashtag United are another example of exactly what you can do when you, you have a kind of a focus and a goal um, and an the ambition to to move up the the pyramid.
1: We spoke about it briefly at the end of last season, but, I mean, surely there's got to be a promotion spot from each division. The fact they have to play off and then only one goes up, it kind of must be disheartening for some of these clubs.
0: Um. Yeah, well, I'm I'm all for expansion. I think the WSL needs expanding. I think the championship needs expanding. And I definitely think those two, the winners of the Northern and the Southern Premier should both be going up. You know, we had Wolves against Southampton last, last mm. time out and both of them, you know, had earned their right to be in the division above. Um, it seemed a little unfair that we had that that championship match um to decide which one of them should should go in because they should have both been there um they're both you know supporting their women's team and wanting to get better and you have to to keep people interested you have to have you know the goal an attainable goal attainable places um for them to achieve and if you limit that then i worry about the how how long that interest lies for some of these teams
1: Coming up over the next week, it's various international tournaments and friendly games. England, of course, are looking to defend their Arnold Clark Cup trophy over the next week. They'll be up against Italy, Korea and Belgium. Some interesting selections. Uncapped Emily Ramsey makes the step up for the under-23s, while Laura Coombs is in the squad for the first time since November 2020. Leah Williamson is back after injury. Uh, that forced her to miss the last squad. And Jess Park, who we are big fans of on this podcast, is also included England, who's moved to Spurs, was to help her get back in the England squad, misses out, and Jordan Nobbs initially had missed out but was included after Frank Kirby pulled out of the squad. What do you all make of the squad then? A couple of surprise inclusions and a couple of surprise omissions as well in there.
0: Um, for me, I always say this, I can never argue with Serena nowadays. I just mm. let her get on with it because, you know, we won the Euros and, and what she says is, is, is right. I would... Say so, uh, Lucy Staniforth is a little bit unlucky, um, not to be in the mix of that, um. But Laura Coombs has more than earned her her spot. I think this season, her performances consistently since what September, um, the goals that she's provided as well for City, she's been a real driving force in that midfield area, um, and she's really stepped up. Emily Ramsey has had really good performances for Everton as well. She's been a standout, um. So I'm not really surprised at the goalkeeping makeup. I might have been surprised that they took four rather than three, but I guess before a World Cup, you know, you want to see as many options as possible. Um and yeah, I'm just pleased for like sad for Frank Kirby because she is so unlucky with injury. Um and I think that one was a bit of a worry because she went down off the ball. Don't know how bad it is, but I was worried when I saw it. And then um, yeah, but Jordan Knopps getting her chance again, you know. She's just about coming back into form now, I think. She's getting regular football. And um, those kind of players, you really wanted a World Cup for England.
2: Yeah, I think I think Gabby George was the one for me that I was probably slightly surprised she missed out. Yeah,
1: um, absolutely. Wobble Mile for seems a strange one, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially after watching uh, Saturday, I think Gabby George would be even more uh, annoyed potentially. But yeah, especially as she's been playing at left-back quite a lot this season for Everton and... And it's been really brilliant. And I think when you when you look at the England squad, you think probably Alex Greenwood or Rachel Daly at left back, who've both been playing. You know, Greenwood plays at centre back for Man City, and Rachel Daly's been a striker for, for Aston Villa. So, yeah, I think she's potentially a little bit unlucky um, in terms of the depth we've got there. But yeah, as, as Sophie says, like, it's just yeah, I let Serena do what she wants. Like, yeah, she could call up Stacey Dooley, and I'd just be like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like,
1: that's an interesting inclusion. There, <laughs> Catherine, Catherine what, what do you make of? That's thrown me off that. What do, what, do you, uh, what do you make of it all? Um... It'd probably
3: still work though, wouldn't it? I mean, we probably still wouldn't win, lose the unbeaten run. So, um, yeah, I think Gabby George can feel hard done by a little bit, especially because, as you're saying, this, it does feel like the left-back spot is is one where we've not got somebody that's playing there week in, week out and playing there consistently. Um, telling that obviously Rachel Daly is listed as a defender again, I think we pretty much know that that is her role for England and unless there are injuries, we, m- we could maybe get kind of shoved up front if we needed a goal or something like that, but I think it's quite clear that her role for England is going to be as a left-back um, and and maybe Alex Greenwood can fill in there obviously if she's not playing centre-back with with Leah Williamson and, and Minnie Bright. We seem to have a lot of centre-backs and less kind of full-backs, interestingly. Um, obviously we've got May Letizia who may or may not be more as a right-back, as a centre-back. So, um, yeah, I think Beth England can feel a little bit hard done by as well because she's obviously, you know, she's gone to Tottenham. She's kind of made the move, you know, in terms of going and playing regular football. Three go- three goals in three games. I know the, the one on Sunday came after the squad, but um, this, the competition up front is just so strong. And, um, you know, who would you drop kind of from those forwards for her to go in? It's a tricky one, but... um. I don't think there was kind of like a shock a shocking omission or a, a huge surprise inclusion. Um interesting that Laura Cube's kind of got the nod, obviously. Um I think she's 32, I think. Um, and we don't really see Serena kind of call up players that are kind of a little bit older, but she maybe sees her as like a short term option into ter- you know, in case you know, an injury happened to Walsh or Stanway, there isn't kind of much depth there and um, you know, she she has kind of earned her spot, but I would like to see Jordan Nobbs kind of get a bit more game time in, in the Arnold Park because she's not really had that under Serena and it'd just be nice to kind of have that opportunity to show what she can do. Because as so've said, I think it'd be great to just take her to the World Cup. I think she just offers something different to, to all the other midfielders that we have. Of
1: well, course, this tournament last year was a really good sort of warm-up, competitive warm-up for the Euros. And there's some really good opposition again in this tournament. Korea are dark horses, aren't they? We know about the likes of G League or Min. But well, they are missing Choso Hyun from Spurs. He was currently out injured. Belgium and England close in the warm-up games just before the Euros. And Italy just don't know what you're going to get from them, do you? So, again, if with the World Cup coming up in the summer, this, these are really good tests for, for the Lionesses now, aren't they?
0: I was a bit disappointed, maybe, is the word. Mm. I understand trying to, to play different kinds of teams, but there are two European teams in there. Um, I think for me, the Korea Republic game is the, the most interesting one because that's a completely different um, kind of style of play, I guess, that you're you're facing. Um, but when I look back to say the lineup last year to this year, I think there is a drop in quality. And then if you look at somewhere like the She Believes Cup, that quality has gone up in in terms of the opposition they've got there. They've got Canada, Japan, and Brazil. I think um
1: yeah so i was gonna mention reason... i was gonna mention that because that's a really we'll, we'll get onto that shortly because that's a really like mouth-watering tournament to look at but there is high quality opposition in that isn't there
0: yeah and i just belgium and italy the way that they performed at the euros i'm not sure they're quite at the level that england necessarily want to be challenging themselves against at the moment i know they'll in the group stages you get easier opposition at the world cup or technically what's meant to be easier opposition but still um Serena's always been going on about you know that quality of opposition in the friendlies to get them prepared for a tournament, and I'm just not sure these three quite make it that that way, personally.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think I agree. Um, I think obviously there were certain sort of like complaints about the Arnold Clark Cup last year, just with like you know the venues and the kind of the gap between tournaments. Obviously, it's COVID and everything, but you know the football itself, I thought was really really great. Um, the and when, when England won it, it sort of, it felt like a real achievement. And there was such a buzz after that, that Germany game. And I thought, even though like sort of Carrie Road and Molyneux were only really about half full, I thought that atmosphere was great, especially at Molyneux it was really electric whenever Lauren Hemp got on the ball and she had that brilliant game against, against Germany. Um, but yeah, I think so is right. I think it's not quite the, well, yeah, it's definitely not the same calibre of opposition as, as, as last year. I think you could potentially look at it as sort of preparation for the group stages in terms of playing against teams that might sit back a bit and sort of preparing to you know England preparing to try and like yeah crack sort of deep lying teams with with a low block but yeah I think I don't know whether I don't know whether it was a more of a hard sell this year after sort of last year where the weather was horrible and yeah there was a lot of sort of events stadiums but um yeah hopefully hopefully it will be good fun
1: Catherine, everyone's agreeing. Please, please disagree.
3: <laughs> um, I'm afraid I kind of, I,
1: I'm not sure I can. I just,
3: I just think, um, I think the venue choice and the team choice isn't isn't as good as last year. Um, I think the venue choice is strange. Um, in, in quite a lot of aspects, I think obviously the third, the, well, the third venue choice, the second game was meant to be a London stadium, um, which they kind of couldn't find and ended up getting Coventry. I just think it's kind of less attractive places for people to go and watch games. There's not a game in the north, which I think is quite disappointing as well in terms of spreading um, spreading the football. So, um, and I, th- I think as Ali was saying, I think the opposition will kind of help prepare England for for those teams that are going to try and sit back and defend and, and and put in a low block, which actually we saw England struggle with against the Czech Republic and and against Norway a little bit as well. So it is important that they test themselves in that in that respect. Um, but yeah, the opposition was a bit more exciting last year with Spain, Germany, Canada than um, you know, three teams, especially Belgium, who we've played quite recently as well and, and beaten convincingly. Um it's a hard, it's a little bit of a harder sell. But you know, maybe when I think once we once we get into it, it's you know, time will kind of tell after that first game as to um you know what the appetite is. But I think looking at that Brazil game in April is probably the one where, um, you know, we'll kind of really see where England are at ahead of ahead of the World Cup. I'm not sure about this camp in terms of really getting a good feel for, for, for the summer.
1: So for the pair of you who were involved heavily last year with the the Arnold Clark Cup, but the big question from last year's tournament was making the non ynss games more appealing and filling the stadiums for the holes. I suppose you kind of. Answered your own question a little bit previously with the, one with the opposition, but two because two the grounds Coventry and MK like so far out of town as well. So do you think that'll improve at all?
0: Um, I have my reservations. I think about the non-England games. I mean, it's it's not just relevant to the Arnold Clark Cup. It's happened that she was, believes couple those years as well. You know, as soon as the USA weren't playing, um, the crowds kind of disappeared out of the stadium. Um, I think it will help that the games are closer together this year, that they don't have those COVID protocols that they had to follow um, last year, which meant there was such a long gap between games. Um, so that will help. But yeah, I just, people come to see the Lionesses, right? You come to see your your home tournament. Um, that is the nature of it when it's not a prolific tournament like a Euros or a World Cup. Um, so I, I would still worry about those non-England game attendances.
1: Easier for me getting home from Coventry when it's career against Belgium anyway, because it'll be easier just to walk straight out. <laughs> the uh, Pinotar Cup as well will be an interesting cut, watch as Scotland and Wales will face off in the last match of the tournament. And in that tournament with them are Iceland and Philippines. And this tournament takes place in Mercia. So nice work if you can get it. Let's see if we can uh, all club together and go out to that one instead. Um, but this tournament looks very watchable as well, especially with Scotland and Wales in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, and also the Philippines, because they got their first World Cup in the summer. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup for them. Um, I think Scotland and Wales are both rebuilding after the disappointment of, you know, missing out on the major tournament in the summer. Um, not many changes to the Scotland squad. I think they brought in Jamie Lee Napier, who's been having a brilliant season with um London City. Uh, but other than that, some people returning from injury and then obviously Jen Beattie, who got who retired um recently isn't there. And Wales as well, you know. I I think I'd be more excited about the Wales project at the moment. They've got some really good management and players mm-hmm. coming through. Um, there's a lot of excitement around that. And I think for them it felt like the World Cup qualification, while it was a disappointment, was just a step on their journey. Whereas I think for Scotland, I feel that they their squad should really be at that World Cup and it was a massive like blow to their ambitions that they're not there already, um, so I think there are two different stages of their projects. Um, so maybe different reactions to both of them. I think yeah, how,
1: how do you see how do you see it going then in in terms of, of terms of ranking? Iceland are favourites, but Catherine, we know Scotland and Wales are improving. And Philippines they're preparing for the first World Cup, but they're unknowns.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a few kind of countries in that position with the World Cup, obviously. Um, Vietnam never, kind of the first time a, a country from, you know, a, a team from Vietnam has has qualified for a World Cup, so I think that'll be interesting, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of how the Philippines do stack up against teams obviously not going to the World Cup because I think that will give us an idea of kind of where they'll be at the tournament obviously, you know, in the past we have seen some of the smaller nations really struggle against those bigger teams, um, so it'll it definitely be interesting to see um, as kind of Sophie saying on Scotland I think this is kind of a strange period for them now where, um, you know, they've got some fantastic players like Caroline Weir, who's having an unbelievable season in Spain, obviously Aaron Cuthbert, and then, um, you know, kind of a few younger players coming through. But, you know, at, at that stage where, as Sophie saying, they should really have qualified for the World Cup and haven't. So now it's kind of about building for for the Euros in, 20, in 2025 and kind of trying to build a squad post-Kim Little. I think they have probably still kind of, struggled to kind of deal with her, the loss of her after she retired and I think they kind of have to kind of but yeah it's a case of kind of almost rebuilding that um and again I think Wales are in a really exciting spot and um you know this is a great time to, to you know for Welsh women's football and and hopefully they can kind of continue to to progress as they have been doing.
2: Yeah I think it's um it'll be interesting as it's I think it's the first international break since Scotland announced they were launching legal action against the the SFA after sort of over equal pay and equal working conditions um so yeah it'll be interesting to see sort of how that that plays out over the break um and yeah I really enjoyed watching Iceland at the Euros um is it Jonas dottir their winger I think she's great um and yeah they were, they were just a really really exciting thing to watch um and yeah Wales as well obviously after reaching the World Cup players for the first time and, and coming so so close to qualifying I think yeah as, as Catherine and Sophie both said sort of a real exciting project going on there so it'll be be interesting to see how they progress over the next few years
1: I know on the uh, girls on the ball twitter so if you've been posting about the various tournaments taking place another one of them is the she believes cup as you mentioned before as the kids would say the lineups look pretty filthy don't they USA Canada Japan Brazil Uh, girls it's going to be hard to take your eyes off these tournaments and also which one to watch
0: all of them um, we've also got the intercontinental playoffs as well so the final three spots of the, the World Cup in the summer are being decided in, in Auckland or in New Zealand um, next week so that's going to be really interesting because one of them will be facing England in Group D as well I think it's Senegal, Haiti or Cameroon? can't remember off the top of my head um, but yeah it's going to be um, yeah interesting to see who fills those final three spots um, and for those teams as well you know Somewhere like Panama or Papua New Guinea, the opportunity they're two games away from a World Cup. That's a huge, huge opportunity for the women's game in, in those countries. Um. So, yeah, one to keep an eye on.
1: Catherine, just a quick word on Northern Ireland. No fixtures our training camp for them. Kenny Shields is now left and we know Interim Boss set to be a point. The lack of training camp in February has raised further uncertainties Around women around women's football in Northern Ireland, despite the highs of Euro twenty twenty-two, they seem to have almost hit a ceiling. And it's there's been a lot of fallout since that tournament, hasn't there?
3: There has, and um, I think it was it was a shame obviously the whole Kenny Seals situation happened before um before the Euros, because it did kind of almost put a bit of a a spin on it, a little bit, it changed it slightly, um, although obviously it was fantastic for the players to be there um it did kind of take the attention away from them a little bit, I thought, which was a shame. Um, and they're in a bit of a strange period now where they're kind of having to again kind of rebuild um, after obviously kind of having Kenny Shields as manager for a long time. And I think it's I think it's a real shame there's no training camp. I think, you know, the fact that there's no kind of manager in place yet, surely there could have been there could have been a coach somewhere that could have taken a kind. I think it's just important to keep those players together to keep the morale high. Um, and to show that you care about them as well. I know they obviously went professional for that short period of time in the build-up to the year, as obviously, you know, kind of some of the players got clubs and moves over to the WSL, Lauren Wade being one of them, um, but a lot of them are still playing in, in Northern Ireland, and, you know, they really kind of need these camps to continue to improve and to progress, so um, I do think that's a shame, and hopefully it's something that they can kind of rectify quickly and find, you know, find a manager and and really kind of sort the situation out because you don't want it to linger and you don't want it to kind of continue for, for too long. Um, I think Kenny Shields, away from, you know, the controversies, I think he did do a great job of kind of progressing the game and progressing the team. But they do kind of need, you know, a new person in now, a, a fresh thinker, someone that can kind of come in and sort of, you know, bring the squad back together and and move it forward.
1: Yeah, possibly not a middle-aged white man in charge of him <laughs> Is, is is maybe what they need going forward um but just before you go then just uh tell us all your twitter handles i'll start with you Soph.
0: uh yeah so we are at girls in the ball on twitter instagram and facebook and tiktok so yeah across all the board
1: uh, ali what what's yours
2: uh i'm at ali rampling on twitter yeah i don't tweet a lot but <laughs> follow me anyway
1: And now you're <laughs> off to a game this weekend
2: um oh no I'm not again. <laughs> I do leave my house, but um no, the the, the Arnold Clark was a bit far for me.
1: No, no worries. And Catherine, what's yours on Twitter? And Did social media. Ali, wasn't it
3: as, wasn't it your birthday yesterday, Ali? So I think you can be let off to
2: begin the
1: game. Oh uh, really, well, Fair enough. Happy birthday, Ali. Didn't know that you Thank kept you. that quiet.
2: No, you just didn't give me grief all day.
1: Sorry. <laughs> I won't never ask a lady her age, so I won't ask her time, So um yeah, but happy birthday anyway from all of us. <laughs> Catherine, what's your social media?
3: Yeah, it's it's Catherine. uh, oh, this is where my name, my first name, spelt spelled weirdly. And my last name spelt spelled weirdly as well. But if you put in Catherine with a K and a Y, and and then B um, A T B A W T E, you'll you'll find me. Or you know, or just don't bother finding me if you don't want to
1: read my tweets. It's fine. Real, that is it. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a great pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms. Give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1. And on Instagram, it's the Women's Football Podcast. I think we're trying to set up a TikTok, but um, yeah, uh, I need somebody who's a bit more socially media savvy more than me. Uh, Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you all very soon.